Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we inspire you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 66, Overcoming with Amy Ostriker. Today, I have a very special guest. Amy is an amazing young woman. She has gone through so much and it all just kind of came upon her in her senior year of high school. At only 17 years old, she lost trust. She lost her grandparents, lost her health and the future she expected. But through all, she has, she has kept optimism and she has developed wisdom. And like me, she believes firmly that we are more than our circumstances. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Amy, where she shares her experience and how she has rebuilt her life. And it didn't happen overnight. As we know, it does not happen overnight, but she has really accomplished so very, very much. And I'm excited for you to hear her interview. Before I get to the interview, though, I want to introduce you to Amy just a little bit. She's an Audi Award-nominated playwright, performer, and multidisciplinary creator. She's a singer, a libertist, a visual artist. She dedicates her work to celebrating untold stories and the detours in life that can spark connection and transform communities. Amy overcame a decade of trauma to become a sought-after PTSD specialist, artist, author, writer for the Huffington Post and a number of other publications, and she's given three TED Talks. So you can find her TED Talks, you can search for those, and she's on in her TED Talks, she talks about transforming trauma through creativity, and she has contributed to NBC's Today, CBS, Cosmopolitan, several publications, MSNBC, uh, all these media outlets, Washington Post, and so forth. Amy has toured her multi-award winning musical, Gutless and Grateful, for over 200 venues from all over the the states. Her multimedia musical Passageways, where she wrote the original lyrics, music, book, and the mixed media artwork, has been performed in theaters as well. Her plays have been published by several different theater companies, and she has a new book out called My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. And you're going to hear more of her stories in this interview. Here's my interview with Amy Ostriker. All right. I'm so excited to welcome Amy Ostriker to the the podcast today. Thanks for being here, Amy. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story because I think this is a really important story and experience for people to hear because your loss has not been, you know, typically when we think of loss and grief, we think of death and and dying. But for you, it's been a little bit, it's been a different type of loss. So will you share with us kind of what's happened, what what your history is and what's happened? Yes. Um, Well, my loss really started with first a, a loss of trust. Um, I really thought my life was pretty planned out as a teenager, like most teenagers do. Um, I love doing musical theater and 
I was studying very seriously with a, a voice teacher who uh, became my godfather and who I developed a very close trusting relationship with. Um, and then two years later, when I was 17, like I was sexually abused by him. And that was a complete oh loss. Yeah, it, it was a complete loss of trust that suddenly this new mentor figure in my life had vanished overnight. Um, and the abuse took place over a series of months. And I just um, went completely out of body and I suddenly couldn't recognize myself anymore. I thought something was wrong with me. I, I was so numb that I didn't even realize I had been abused. And I kept that secret inside for months. And then finally, the April of my senior year, I finally told my mother. And then uh, two weeks later, before I really had time to grieve that loss so I could move through it and move on, um, I had a very bad stomach pain. Um, and what had happened was um, there apparently there's a blood clot on in an artery and um, I was sent to the emergency room. And as soon as I got there, uh, apparently the surgeons uh, cut into me and my stomach literally exploded because there was so much internal pressure building up. Oh my goodness. Um, I was next, and this was the April of my senior year. Um, and I never really had health problems my entire life. So I woke up from a coma months later, um, wondering where was I? I thought I, w I just got my college acceptance letters. Um, and doctors told me that I had no stomach anymore and I couldn't eat or drink and they didn't know when or if that would ever be possible again. So long, long, long story short, um, it turned into six years unable to eat or drink and 27 surgeries um, before my digestive system was surgically uh, reconstructed and I was finally able to eat. So I know that's a mouthful, um, but that being said, when we're talking about grief, I really had a lot of grieving to do. I I had to mourn the loss of the life I once had, a body I once had, and circumstances, you know, my old life. Um, and plus, I had many other losses. You know, the night I was rushed to the emergency room was the night of our Passover Seder, and our whole family was there. Um, that was the last time I ever saw my grandparents um, who died um, while I was in a coma, um, the last time I was really with my childhood dog. I mean, there, there was a, a lot of loss um, that I had to move through in stages. Um, and that was uh, really how I was able to find a, a path forward. Um, so that, that's the short version. <laughs> my goodness. So how many months were you, was it, I'm assuming it was like a medically induced coma? I I always get asked this and I always ask you know my father was a doctor who stayed in the ICU with me and finally now that I'm getting asked all the time I'm, I ask my dad you know what is it so it, I guess it was kind of a medically induced coma that's that's the most official I'm ever going to get about that I guess oh, I so that it was, was such an emergency kind of thing. Right. So, um, 
yeah, kind of induced coma. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this happened April, your senior year, and and then yep, how, April twenty fifth. Yep. Yeah. And when when did you finally wake up from and understand what was happening? So, months later, the closest I get, um, I have a very supportive family and actually um, three brothers. And one of my brothers actually kept a journal for the first 72 days I was in a coma mm. um, because he stayed in the ICU. So my biggest, um, you know, the most accurate information I have is actually from this journal that he kept, um, which is now incorporated into my book, actually. Um, and so what I got from that is, it was about, you know, three or four months. And then I kind of went in and out of sedation and eventually became alert. Um, but a good few months. <laughs> yeah. And I would imagine you said it was six years of surgeries, 27 surgeries. Is that, did I hear you right? Yeah, 27 uh, for the digestive thing. Then um, two years ago, I was run over by a car, which is two extra surgeries since then. But if we're just talking stomach related, uh, 27. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, it, in that time, during those six years, I imagine that this was your whole focus was just regaining some semblance of health. Well, you know what? It wasn't at all. And I think that it wasn't and it was, and I think that's how I was able to move through it. Mm -hmm. um, I think if I had let this just be my sole focus and I just assumed the patient identity, I would have never gotten beyond it. Um, I think what helped me was that I never saw myself um, as a patient. And I always remembered, you know, who I was before this. Um, and so that really helped guide me remembering that I was more than just these circumstances. I mean, an example of that is, you know, as a month after I got out of the surgical ICU, um, I could hardly walk. I couldn't eat or drink, but I saw, you know, the problem was once I was out of the hospital, I was feeling okay, but no one could tell me if I'd ever eat or drink again, but I was never the kind of person who wanted to curl up in bed and hide away from the world watching movies. So I wanted to be out there. So I actually decided to audition for a production of Oliver, the musical, um, in my hometown. And right out of the hospital, I got the lead role. And wow. just, I think, well, I think being part of that production really saved my spirit. Um, and that was like the best transition from hospital into the real world because it was a safe way to be in the world doing what I loved. I mean, I couldn't have any water, but it was a way I could find some way to to be a person um, and accept these uh new circumstances I had. And that was a very good, healthy uh, transition for me. And so, you know, my whole journey of those years, unable to eat or drink, 
I kept doing things, you know, I started a chocolate business because I was so hungry and I just wanted to play with food. You know, I, I started karate. Um, I ended up writing a one woman musical about my life, uh, gutless and grateful. And I wrote, I danced, I taught in nursery school. Um, so I think focusing on life outside of being you know sick in the medical circumstances while these you know setbacks were still going on um i think that's how i was able to keep going for sure and you are a walking miracle i mean that could be the name of your <laughs> of your musical and your and your book walking miracle it's a little cliche yeah, no, well, walking is is literal because and I and I write about this a lot that walking was really my way of getting through. I mean, I went from being the sickest kid in the ICU to literally the patient that they couldn't track down because I had my UGG boost and I I was known as the marathon walker that would just walk around the ICU all the time to the point where they really had to like keep track of me from like running away, which I tried to do a few times, but I had to keep going. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I, I really appreciated what you said about you are more than your circumstances. I think that's such an important, really important truth that. Well, yeah, yeah it's a good thought. Um, the truth is it's easy to say, it's not always easy to feel, mm -hmm. you know, when you have these stifling medical circumstances that are threatening to swallow you up alive. So I think my journey was a constant active search to find things that could make me feel like myself. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And, you know, if we're talking about grief and, and moving through lost uh, to something else. I think what finally enabled me to healthily move through and grieve those things is I had to tell myself, you know, I'm not the same 15 year old, you know, getting you know, for a while, I went through this like kind of fantasy phase where like, oh, I'll really feel healed when I feel just like I was when I was 15 or when I was 17. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had to tell myself, you know, right now I'm not, you know, 15 before I was abused. I'm, I'm not 18, you know, before all these surgeries. I'm now 19, 20, 21, 22. And then I had to tell myself, you know, I can't be the same 17 year old I was, but I can be the best 25 year old I am right now, you know, with all of these things that have happened to me. And that's really where I started getting the idea of calling this a beautiful detour. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my book is My Beautiful Detour. That was what my first TED Talk was about because, you know, you can't help that these things change you, but you can find the beauty in those changes and what has made you who you are. That is that that is really an incredible way to look at it and and i really appreciate that because it's something that we all have to come to terms with is that even though life doesn't look like what we expected it to look like it can still be wonderful right and if we don't 
accept that we can't go back to before. And that's really hard to accept. But if we don't, we're still in that kind of bargaining phase. And that's a state of flux that doesn't make us really happy and keeps us stuck. Yeah. And it's definitely a process. I am sure there were many, yeah. <laughs> like any of us that have experienced grief, I'm sure there were many days where the journey did not look clear and Oh, are you kidding? Times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, many times where I was just mad and fed up and just wanted to give up. And you have those times. And you know what, though? And I always say this that on a detour, you have to give yourself the creative space to feel those like miserable emotions. Like you're allowed to feel pissed, you're allowed to feel sad. And if you don't, let yourself feel that you're just going to find unhealthy ways to run from those, you know, that sadness, that fear. Um, and you have to experience that to move through it. Otherwise you'll just spend your life running from scary feelings. (laughs) That is so wise. That's so wise. We, that is so important for us to find the space to feel what we're feeling. That's what makes us human. It, it's really, that's literally a line, you know, in my book that, you know, I was so, you know, I felt like I was so angry at circumstances beyond my control and I didn't know what to do about it except feel angry. And then I'm like, you know what? Part of being human is feeling angry. Like I have to feel this. And when I was finally able to find a way to feel that anger, I could really see what the next chapter was. Mm, wise, very wise, very yeah. good. You, you've obviously learned a lot through your journey and mm-hmm. super important. And, you know, and I love the name of your book, My Beautiful Detour, because, because it is a detour. It's not where you expected, but you've found beauty in it and, and so much wisdom. Yeah, well, what I learned about the detour thing came because for a while people would ask me, you know, what do you think you would be doing if this had never happened? Mm -hmm. And for a while, I would really answer that with, you know, I probably would have gone straight on to musical theater and uh, done professional theater and toured and lived my life and blah, blah, blah. But then years kept passing and I kept doing other things and meeting other people and experiencing experiencing things just because of that and then it got to the point where I was like wow if this didn't happen I would have never met this person I would have never tried this I would have never learned this about myself so I couldn't even answer that question anymore because whatever detours it happened I mean that's kind of made me who I am. I mean, I would be writing like a hypothetical situation. And so I realized, right, so all of these things that had happened, that's kind of made my life pretty beautiful because it's made me me. And I kind of like who I am now. I mean, I don't have a choice. It's who I am. Um, And so then I realized, you know, forget that my stomach exploded and all that other crazy stuff that happened to me if we all start thinking of any unexpected change in our lives as just a detour, then we can all relate to each other's struggles, no matter what, you know, what we've been through. And when we can all relate to 
detours, it doesn't like minimize our specific struggles, but it makes us, it makes it easier for us to navigate them together. Um, and that's what I try to get people to see with this like detour idea. Like it's not about swapping war stories, like what I've been through and what you've been through. It's mm -hmm. listen, who doesn't have unexpected things in our lives? And also like, it's very scary to navigate those things when we do it alone. So how cool is it that we all get to experience these uncertainties and we all can give each other tips on what works and, and what doesn't? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you touched on a really important thing there, and that is that it, 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 there's no value in comparing our war stories, right. like you said. Like The value is in creating that support for each other. That's where the value right. Yeah. Right. Like we, we should find our uniqueness, not on what's happened to us, but what we can do with it. Yeah. And that's how we feel not victimized, you mm -hmm. know, by finding something special about whatever that uncertainty makes us do. And honestly, when we compare, like you were talking about, people would say, well, what, what would you be doing if this hadn't happened? When we, when we compare our current circumstances to an unknown, we're into a to a <laughs> hypothetical situation. It's really unfair because we have we have no no way of knowing what the alternative would be, and the alternative doesn't exist. So it's all a it's all right, and it's also how we get into the why me, why me, and what does that do? You know, exactly. It just sticks us in in a place that. Uh, is disconnected from from everyone and everything. And I really realized because I had to purposely isolate myself for many years because you know I, I tried to get on the world as much as I could, but the truth is when you can't eat and you're starving, it's really hard being with people a lot. So in my book, I write about how I would, you know, spend tons of time just locked in my room to block out all outside stimulation because I was hungry. Mm -hmm. um, so when you've done that for so long, you realize that, you know, it's the best way to heal is being out in the world. And, and no one really wants to be with someone who pities themselves, you know? Um, so that really taught me, you know, I got to get out of myself. I got to stop asking like why this happened and just see what else is out there. And that really helped me. That's good. And I, when you were talking about being in the hospital and being the patient that couldn't be found because you were off walking, what I hear is that you have really, you really took ownership of your health. And I imagine you took, and it sounds like from, from the things that you've experienced and the, and your mindset around it, the way that you think about it, that you really took ownership of all aspects of your healing. So what, what I, I did, yeah. Yeah. Well, I did, I did me and my family. I, I really have to say that my family was so supportive. And the truth is, I didn't really have a choice. This was not like a, a roadmap for the stomach exploding diagnosis where, you know, we had doctors that knew exactly what to do. It was very scary knowing that doctors really were happy that I was alive, but didn't know what the next steps were, you know, if making a digestive system was possible. So 
I really had to be proactive in terms of not only how we were going to track down a surgeon that was going to hopefully have answers, but also telling myself, okay, if this is not a possibility, how am I going to live my life? You know, I had to come to the point where I had to say, I can't wait for doctors to fix me to start living my life. I have to live now. And that's a scary thing uh, to have to decide. Um, but I, I had to do it. That's, that's really good. So tell me, well, you know, um, the people that listen to this podcast, a lot of them are grieving or they have family members or friends mm-hmm. that are grieving. Uh, give us some ideas or some thoughts around things that you feel like really helped you during that time to kind of keep the grief moving so that you didn't get stuck in it. Yeah, well, you know, besides grieving my own life and you know, in my third TED talk I, I talk about, you know, reweaving loss into positive impact and those were the steps I had to take to um to mourn the loss of my grandparents, mm-hmm. which was really one of the hardest things uh for me because feeling sadness uh meant I had to feel and and that was very, very difficult for me. Um so the first step that really helped me is I learned about her story. You know, my grandmother was also a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. She never really talked about what she had been through. But I decided to start reaching out to her relatives and her family members from from all over the globe and and hearing about the joy that she had in her life and how even despite what she had been through, the things that brought her happiness, like cooking and family and celebrating when when the times were good. And hearing those stories and finding ways to honor that, um, I ended up learning to sew because I learned that she that was what she loved to do. I made art in her honor. I cooked her recipes. Um, and I shared memories that I could with my family. And I found little ways to keep her spirit alive. Like I, I created symbols in my art, like this little purple swirl that I would make out of felt fabric. I would like sneak into every corner of my artwork. And for me, that would be like a little symbol that she was with me. That led into like sewing little stuffed animals with little like grandma symbols on it, you know, and I would carry those little stuffed animals in my pocket. <laughs> People look at me like I was a 25 year old with a stuffed animal in my pocket. But, you know, I, so for me, like those symbols that I could keep with me everywhere, like tying little ribbons around bedposts, um, it was a way that I could feel her with me. I, I ended up writing like short stories where I, like I imagined her like swirling out of tree trunks. So for me, like that creativity was really a way I could, I could feel her with me and, and I could share these stories with my family. Um, so, so that was a way to, to really feel like, like she was here. Um, so, so I would say, you know, find some, some kind of symbol or ritual or tradition something in your routine that you can do every day and it doesn't have to be big but it could just be like a very small acknowledgement um and that's the way to keep those things uh with you and that that works for me that's beautiful and i i love that because 
a lot of times when we lose someone we love, we our our connection to them becomes our grief. And so we don't want to mm-hmm. let go of the grief and the pain because right. we don't want to let go of the person. But if we can, if we can focus on our love and honoring them on our love for them, our gratitude for them, then we can let go of the pain and we still have that connection. Right. But you, what I learned is you have to feel the grief first. Absolutely. You know, and ride that wave and move through it. Cause otherwise I spend so many years, trying to numb out that grief, not only for, you know, that loss, but for the many losses in my life. And a lot of my book is about different ways I tried to block it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually ways I eventually um, was able to uh, to find some way to embrace it. A lot of my paintings are actually of like swirling bodies, hugging a big tear, because mm-hmm. that's what I eventually had to do. I had to hug my tears so I could let them go. Oh, that, that is a beautiful image. Hug your tears. I love that. And really we do, we we, Mm -hmm. we honor, we honor our grief by, by feeling Mm -hmm. what we're feeling and feeling the sadness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. So tell me a little bit about what life looks like for you now. What are you, what are you up to these days? I know you've done a few talks and you're involved in a lot of different things. I love many different things. Well, um, I, I started, you know, love my detour after my first TED talk, which is, you know, a whole um, movement trying to get people to thrive, you know, not in spite of, but because of obstacles. And that's led to a lot of uh, creativity workshops, you know, getting people to who don't consider themselves artists, just using all kinds of creativity to work through detours in their lives. Um, so I've been doing those programs along with a, my one-woman musical, Gutless and Grateful, that I've toured across the country uh, for years. And I, I do that not only in theaters, but I've done it for colleges and conferences and organizations um, where, you know, I talk about how creativity is really a way to transform obstacles. Um, I just published my book. I'm also uh, just starting grad school, which I'm very excited about. Um, and so, so yeah, so I'm continuing to do, um, I really um, love bringing creativity to populations that are dealing with trauma um, because I think it's an amazing skill to have. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to just continuing that work. Uh, that that's that's wonderful. We you know when we go through loss and we go through grief, it's it's very much an emotional thing, and creativity really opens us up to our emotions. And so that's a, a it, it's way true. To yeah. Right. And 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 it's what I really want people to understand is it's a mindset. It doesn't necessarily mean picking up a paintbrush. You don't have to be a, a classical pianist. It's the ability to take whatever energy we're feeling and saying, wow, I have control over this energy. So like, even if it might be scary to feel at first, once I feel it, I can just transform it into anything so I can move through it. So my role is really to give people those skills to move around that creativity um, in a way that's really empowering and fun for them. 
Beautiful. So tell us where, well, before we get to that, tell is, are there any other words of wisdom you would like to share with everyone? Oh my God, so many, but, but I'll just give one. Um, I talk a lot about um, my, I have four skills uh, to resilience and, and those are in my books, those are my workshops, but I just want to give one quick um, tip because I think it's good to just start people with. Um, one of them is gratitude. Um, and for me, you know, earlier I was talking about how when I was able to see myself as a person outside of my medical circumstances, mm -hmm. that was really what enabled me to start moving forward. I started keeping a gratitude list after my 27th surgery when my medical circumstances were pretty grim. Um, I made lists A to Z and made myself write one thing I was grateful for, for every letter. And it wasn't just to make myself thankful and stop complaining. Um, it, at first, it was to give myself just something to do to pass the time. But what I noticed as I was keeping all these gratitude lists, was, you know, what I was grateful for were actually what my values were and what was very important to me. And knowing what my values were reminded me what I stood for, medical circumstances or not. So I would say, you know, when your life is shaky and you don't really know what's to come, start keeping a gratitude list and keep an eye out for the common themes that you, that you keep writing. And then you remind yourself, no matter what happens, these are the things that mean something. This is what I stand for. And if you know what your values are, you know, I think that will kind of steady you uh, when, when life gets a little shaky. That, that really helped me. That's excellent because identity is so important. And when we're so focused mm -hmm. on what's happened, then we can lose our identity. We can lose our identity. Right. That. And when you focused on, on the gratitude, then it reminded you of your values, which reminded you of right. your identity. And that is just a, a wonderful right. focus. Not that, not, that you're, not that you're not honoring your grief, but that you also had this focus where you could be reminded of who you were and who you are. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Definitely. Excellent. So where can, where can our listeners find you? What's the best place for them to find you? Yeah. Well, I'm all over social media, but definitely check out my website. My website is amyoes.com, emios.com. And on that, you'll find uh, my art, uh, which is for sale on like lots of fun, like dresses and pillows and phone things and all that. You'll also find out about my show, which I take anywhere, even a small group, like classrooms of 10 and things like that. And my book, uh, my books on Amazon, uh, everywhere, uh, my beautiful detour and unthinkable journey from gutless to grateful. Um, so you'll find a lot of stuff. And I'm also, you know, definitely big on Facebook. Uh, so, um, just, yeah, send me a note. And also, um, for anyone that has a detour in their lives, uh, you can share your story for my Why Not Wednesday, um, where all you have to do is write about a detour in your life. Um, and I post it on my blog. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me. And thank you. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thank you. We'll, I'll add that to the, I'll add the website to the, uh, to the 
show notes. And then that way people can find that. Again, it's amyoes.com. That'll be in the show notes. And, and then that will send you to all the places to find Amy. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. You're, you're obviously just a really wise individual. And I appreciate you sharing so much with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Doesn't Amy have such a remarkable story? It's just, it really is incredible to think about everything that happened and the fact that she is still with us is just remarkable. I can't think of a better word for it. It's fantastic. Thanks for joining me today. What were your takeaways today? What were the things that you listened to and you thought, oh, wow, that is incredible. I'd love to hear. You can visit me at buildalifeafterloss.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app. Also, I have a book coming out this summer. I have a book coming out this very summer in July. And if you're not already on our mailing list, be sure and do that as well when you go over to buildalifeafterloss.com. Remember, I believe in you. Talk to you next week.